Ron and Anian. Drive a Nissan, then decide to buy something else. Come on, baby, don't feel the reaper. Baby, take my Car Doctor. I went right after the EGR. Unplugged the EGR valve and my problem went away. Absolutely ran perfect. Actually ran really good. Actually ran better at idle than it did with the EGR valve connected and the EGR valve isn't even doing anything at idle or so it seemed in my mind. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, welcome. Ronnie Nanny and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Glad to be here with you this hour, as always, this time, this part of your day, whether it's podcast or weekend or however you're taking this radio show and listening to us, and uh, you've got a bunch of options and a bunch of choices. Uh, normal broadcast, podcast, we do stream the show, by the way. If you're interested, you can get out to cardoctorshow.com, scroll down the left side of the page, and there's streaming information right there, as well as links to various websites that help promote the Car Doctor and take us around the world. At tunein.com, you'll find a partial affiliate list. You can get out to iHeart.com and iTunes.com if you want to subscribe to podcasts, or if you want to hang out at the website, cardoctorshow.com, and just take podcasts as they come up. You can grab them from our website as well. This radio show is broadcast live Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. You get out to 855-560-9900. That's our 24-7 phone number, and you can leave a message if we're not on the air. And Fast Harry, our executive producer, will call you back and get you in queue. The price of a cheaper auto repair. Boy, it was a heck of a conversation, and it was a great subject this week at the shop. Mary, new customer came in and we talk about this on our facebook page as a matter of fact if you're ready for it and you want to see me in my halloween costume you can get out to the car doctor's facebook page and uh, you can see the video that we shot real from in the bays uh, that middle of the week tuesday wednesday something like that talking about mary's car and pointing out what is actually bad on a car that she was told by her dealer that needed fifteen hundred dollars worth of repairs needed 159 dollars and 71 71 cents worth the price of a cheaper repair. At what price does that come? And that's really what the subject of this opening conversation is about. And it amazes me. I started to think about it in terms of eating out. You ever go out to eat? You ever go to a restaurant? And you're always looking for, where's there a good restaurant? And you, you, you find one. I don't know too many people, the first thought out of their mind is, how expensive is the restaurant? It's how good is the food? We all look at that. We all say, how good is the food? You know, I get it if it's a $50 hamburger and you're looking for a 10. I understand that. But if this guy's 10, this guy's 15, this guy's 8, the $8 guy might be the best. Hopefully he is. But the $15 guy might really make a heck of a cheeseburger. And he might be the guy you just want to go to. It's worth the extra 5 bucks because you know that the food never, ever, ever gives you indigestion. And that's really the way auto repair is. You know, the cheaper repair doesn't always beget the better repair. So one of the points I want to bring up as we kick off this hour of the car doctor is get out to the Facebook page. Look at the conversation with about Mary's car and how she went to the dealer she'd been going to. And I think it's because she didn't know what restaurant to pick. She didn't know what mechanic to go to. 
And her parents probably said, go ahead, you know, stay with the dealer. It's a Toyota. Let's stay with the Toyota dealer. And she ended up being told she needed rear brakes, a left front shock absorber, and a bunch of other work, spark plugs. And I'm trying to remember there was one other thing that really wasn't needed. Oh, a cabin air filter. Yeah, okay, big deal. Not going to stop the car. When you're a young college kid and you're trying to keep the car on the road, a cabin air filter is not going to stop it in its tracks. But the dirty battery terminals would, and that's what the dealer missed. And I don't say all dealers are bad. I've said this for years and years. A repair shop is only as good as the people in them and how much they care and how much they try to do it right. And the only way you're going to know it, if you base it on cheap, you're always going to get taken advantage of because there's no way that repair shop can do everything cheaper. It's all about the relationship and how well you know those guys and what they're trying to do. Sometimes that $15 cheeseburger is the better burger. Even if it's the same as the $10 burger, there may be something better in the way they deliver it or take care of it or promise it to you and get it out to you on time rather than keeping you waiting because that causes stress. And whether you're trying to get your car fixed or eat a cheeseburger in peace, both of them can cause problems. Hello and welcome. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900, the same phone number as always, to sit and talk to you about your car. If you're new to the Car Doctor, welcome aboard. We're glad to have you here, and we want to hear from you. We want to know what it is going on with your car that makes you nuts. And I think a lot of it is you're just afraid to ask the question. So don't be afraid. Pick up the phone, 855-560-9900. Down around the bottom of the hour this hour, we're going to finally, finally, I say it finally, play the Butch Patrick, the Eddie Munster interview from the Labor Day gig. And uh, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Eddie's going to be, oh, Eddie, Butch. And I call him Eddie in the interview. It's really kind of funny. But um, Butch Patrick is going to be talking to us about his memories of drag racing of the 60s. It turns out he is a great aficionado of where drag racing came from and how it got started. And he is a wealth of information. If you want to talk about the 60s and the 70s and drag racing back in its heyday, um, Butch is the guy to talk to, so we're going to be uh, playing that for you down around the bottom. But right now, let's kick open the garage doors and do what the car doctor does best. Let's go and talk to Charles Davenport, Iowa, BMW XI, and some bad vibrations. Not a good Beach Boys song. Charles, how can I help you, sir? <laughs> no, not at all, Ron. Yes, sir. What's well, going thanks on? Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. I really appreciate it. Sure. Yeah, this is uh, you're preaching to the choir in regard to uh, trying to find a good dealer and diagnose problems and i've had this front end i've got had my bmw i bought it over in europe in 2003 with the bmw's european delivery and i'm like one of these aging american males i have this infatuation with my car and and i'd like you to see if you can help me out sure i'm not having much luck charles i'm your guy this is what i I live for this so um believe me listening to your program i appreciate Uh, that i I drive up to Waterloo where I work, and and we listen to you on KXEL at 1540. And and uh, but I can't get your radio station down here in in Davenport, so I listen to you on the on the computer. Gotcha. Uh, anyway, um, I love my car. I got 240,000 miles on it. It's this two uh, 2003 BMW 330 Xi six speed. And um, about 110,000 miles, I got this vibration in my car. And finally, BMW said it was probably your 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 drivetrain, and they replaced the rear drivetrain, and and that pretty much took care of it. But then, about twenty thousand miles ago, it started doing it again. But this was the front end, and um, and especially uh, 
Iowa's hilly up and down, and as you go up hills, the vibration really increases. And certainly if I step down the accelerator, it will really increase. And as soon as I top the hill, I go down the hill, it, not all, but 90% of it goes away. And when I push in the clutch, it goes away. Uh, I've had a number of people take a look at this, and you know, and some of the BMW dealers want $350 just to breathe on the car. Right. But um, I'm not really getting any specifics from people. <coughs> Excuse me. I've got the original clutch on it. Yeah, but um, I don't. I don't think so. You know, if 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 the clutch were an issue, you'd be talking to me about chatter. You'd be talking to me about okay. slipping. You know, a clutch is a clutch. I don't care whether it's in a, a BMW, a, a Chevette, or a uh, you know a go kart. They're all the same in, in terms of failure. And for it to be a vibration issue, the clutch is hanging out of the car. It's half on fire, and you're going, "Gee, I can't get it to shift anymore." So okay. yeah, probably not. Uh, you know, the first thing that's really common that, you know, even though it was just done, well, it was done 100,000 miles ago or 120,000 miles ago, is I always take a look at the rubber couplings. That car does not have drive shaft U-joints that has rubber couplings, and they are prone to failure. Okay. So, you know, if we just want to follow basics, the first set, it sounds like the first set failed at around 110,000 miles. Here you are. 120,000 miles later? Yeah. And it sounds like you're kind of having the same experience. Yeah. One of the things I'd be curious is if you put the parking brake on, and I wonder if you, you know, it's a stick, so it's 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 a little tougher, is I wonder if you could replicate it, parking brake on, gently let out the clutch a little bit. Does the car start to pick up a vibration? And then... Does it feel the same in reverse? If we load the engine this way, then that way, does it does it change anything? You know, it it just to me sounds like we're chasing something rubber that's flexing under the dynamic of operation, and it's it's either rubbing metal or it's not isolating or insulating like it's supposed to, creating the problem. Relate to acceleration, because I mean I mean if I keep it. Um, 60, 65, you know, there's vibration, but it's not terrible. Right. Uh, but boy, if I hit 70, 75, right. Or if, if, if you lay into it at 35, 40 miles yeah. an hour and kind yeah. of tromp on it, like you did your 69 yeah. Camaro back in the day. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, believe yeah. me, I've been there, done that. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, I, that's why I'm thinking, you know, if you put it up in the air and just look at it on a lift, you're, you're looking at it at rest. You may not see it. And, and sometimes what I start to do on a car like this, again, BMW, Chevette, go-kart, anything in between, if I think there's a place where I've got a contact of what I'm not supposed to get, metal on metalers, I will actually start to paint the area, drive it, and then come back and look. Did the paint rub off? Do I have a shiny spot? Oh. And, okay. you know, it kind of gives me a direction. So, yeah. uh, you know, well, that's... I even talked to I even talked to one of my mechanics about would we could we tape one of these rentable GoPros and he said if there was vibration it can be so tiny that we wouldn't really even pick right. it up. Right. Right. Yeah, you probably wouldn't, you know. So, um first thing I'd do too is or one of the things I would do too is 60 miles an hour when you've got well you won't get it though. It's not in the tires. It's in the it's in the drivetrain, Charles. It really is. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to say to you to follow those things that I suggested. And, you know, at least go through it 
process one step at a time. And give me a call back next week or the week after. Let me know how you're making out. The clock's going to take me here. i got to pull over and take a pause. And uh, I don't want to rush you, but i got to go. Um, so let's do it like that. And let's just say that we'll talk again in a week or two and take it from there. 855-560-9900. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Car Doctor rolling along here at 855-560-9900. Let's get over to the busy phones and let's go talk to Bill in Indiana. 93 Chevy S10 pickup and some questions about the distributor cap. Bill, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Oh, thank, thank you. I, I really enjoy your uh, show and program. And I, I want to change this cap and rotor. And uh, Line of sight, I can only see one the front half of it. And I can only see the one screw. I can't even get my hand in there to the other side to feel, and I know there's got to be an easier way than pulling off the intake manifold. Yeah, that, that wasn't one of GM's better uh, moments. Uh, this is the this is the 2.5 Iron Duke, and the distributor's all the way in the back, correct? Sort of half under the intake? Right. Yeah. Um, Out of sight. I, I, I remember this because if you look it up going by the book, you know, you can change that cap in six-tenths of an hour. Um, you know, in my opinion, you can find the distributor cap in about six-tenths of an hour. Changing it's a whole other story. Uh, you know, it's 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 not easy. Let me ask you this, because it's been a while since I've seen one. If you were to raise the vehicle up in the air and look at it through the wheel well that's blocking your view, would you see the distributor cap? Uh, um, it wouldn't be easy to reach through there. I looked, and that exhaust pipe goes down in there. And if I right. could get in a position, I'm not sure I could bend my arm enough in there. If the wheelhouse was out of, if the wheel well was out, something about this strikes a bell like we used to pull the wheel well out of the fender liner. Of course, that's when the vehicle. Oh well, right. If, if, okay, pull pull the fender well out, or right. pull the fender pull well the out. Of course, yeah. yeah, that's of course that's when the vehicles were new or newer. They weren't. Let's see, this is a '93, so where are we? We're approaching classic I've got territory. Sawzall. Yeah, well, you know, sawzall and some duct tape will fix anything. Uh, you know, well, sawzall is how it changed the uh, gas. Uh, gas pump and you know cut through the bed and you know that. listen sometimes buying an old or, and driving an older vehicle is really just modifying it to your taste likes and ease of serviceability um you know in the yeah, hopes I can that, handle they, that. I cut yeah. a hole in it and that'd be fine yeah, yeah. And just you know Thanks. and i think if you do that and i think if you do that you'd be able to reach in and you know i'll tell you what you could do bill if you wanted to if you cut it nice if you cut the wheel well nice with your sawzall just being mindful of what's on the other side if you did that, you uh-huh. could you could drill a couple of holes, and imagine a quarter inch border around the section that you cut, and put some self tapping screws in. It'll be like a little access panel. You could drop it down, put it back up, take the cap on, take the cap off. You've got your own panel there. Put a little bead of uh, you know like um, a bead sealer or um, window caulking. 3M makes like you know that black rope black rope window caulking. And you could just pack it in there as a sealer, and it'll just, you know, it's it's a little overkillish, but at least it looks nice and neat like the factory would have done it if they cared for you to service the vehicle properly back then. And um, that'll work. Now, that does not sound at all far off, because I, I can work sheet metal. I can right. make the hole do the yeah. access panel. Sort of okay, one more quick one sure. if I could. I'm getting a lot of oil coming through the air breeder. Is that a cracked oil ring? 
No, it's just blow-by in all likelihood. Obviously, I'm going to tell you to take a look at PCV and, uh, you know, are you are you consuming any oil? Are you going through any oil consumption? It's pooling inside the breeder. Okay. You know, how many miles are on it? Uh, 225. Yeah, you know, so it's the rings are getting a little tired. It's probably nothing I would you okay. know, tell you to pull the engine out of. I would just, you know, good quality parts, making sure crankcase ventilation is working like it's supposed to. Let it go. All right, sir. Good luck to you, Bill. Let us know if we can do anything else for you. We'll go from there. Let's go to Phil up in Maine, 2008 Impala, and see what's going on here. Phil, what's whining here? I hear there's a wine coming out of this car. How can I help oh, you? It, it's more than just a wine. It's a real growl. Right. And uh, I've I've replaced the thing a couple of times, right. and I'm just tearing my hair out about okay. this. I used to consider myself. Excuse me. I used to consider myself a pretty good mechanic, but this one's got me baffled. Get get your hands on GM Bulletin PIC five one one nine C is in Charlie, and right. it, it talks. Can you say that again. Sure, PIC five one one nine C as in Charlie. It talks about power steering wine at slow vehicle speeds, mm-hmm. and you'll have put a couple of power steering pumps in this. I bet. Yep. And and you still can't get the wine out of it, and you're ready right. to just go. You want to add a story to the house, so when you jump, you don't just break your leg. You do yourself in and get the pain over with. Yeah, you know, yeah, you're at that point of frustration. So yeah. if you read this bulletin, it talks about how the power steering pump cap is a special cap with a two-way valve to control air pressure inside the power steering pump reservoir. Oh, you know that makes a lot of sense because when I when I pull the cap off, I swear it feels like this pressure buildup on right. Who to thunk? Pops and and it talks about problems with the cap and it talks about proper procedure. You know, each time you do that pump, you've got to bleed the system completely. Yes. Otherwise, it's a real problem. So right. you know, get your hands on that. Stay on the ground, please. Don't jump. There's always a solution. It it, it wasn't like that new. We can always come to a conclusion. And um, if you can't find that bulletin, by all means, Phil, send me an email, ron at cardoctorshow.com, and I'll see if I can get a copy out to you via the email airwaves, and we'll kind of take it from there. Phil, enjoyed the conversation. Stop pulling your hair out. Let's see if we can fix it, and uh, good luck to you. Coming up next, Butch Patrick, a little bit of a look back and an inside take on drag racing from the 60s and the 70s. I'm Ron Anning and the Car Doctor. We'll return right after this. Car Doctor, I'm here today at the home of Dead Man's Curve, the Wild Hot Rod Weekend. Is that what we're going to call this, boys, the Wild Hot Rod Weekend here in Montville, New Jersey? Um, We're here at the Wednesday night party before the Wild Weekend uh, this Labor Day. And um, I'm here with a very special guest that most people are going to know him by name, Butch Patrick. And uh, Butch, it's kind of a thrill to be here with you. Um, I've been kind of looking forward to this all week. Um, uh, and thanks for being part of the Car Doctor today, and thanks for being here at the Wild Hot Rod Party. And if they don't recognize Butch Patrick, they'll certainly recognize Eddie Munster. Well, yeah, and, and that's and that's that's probably how most people know you as, right? It's, it's, it's as Eddie Munster. You know, it's great. I have the best of both worlds. I can walk around and nobody really recognizes me, but if they ever ask, you know, did you ever do anything on TV that, I'm, that I might remember, you just mentioned Eddie Munster, and a big smile comes across their face. So oh, yeah. I have the best of both worlds. So, you know, how does Eddie Munster get to be this car guy? You know, where, where's that story? 
Well, the Munsters, uh, for those of those those people that don't know, we were the first TV series to ever have hot rods on as the family vehicles. The Munster Coach right. and the Dragula was built by George Barris. Uh, they came on the air in 64, 65, and 66, which led to my love affair with cars. And on my Wednesdays when I would take off from the studio with a long lunch, I would go visit George Barris' shop and see Sonny and Cher, Elvis, uh, Frank Sinatra, all picking up their custom rides by the king of the customizers. And that's where I started enjoying cars. Just like just like going down to the corner garage and seeing people pick up their cars, it was like the normal thing to you. I was very lucky in that respect. How old were you when that when all this was going 11 on? 11 and 12. Wow. Yeah. And, and then that was the right age because 13, 14 found you... At the drag strip, I'm assuming? When I was 15, I ordered my Mach 1. I was going to get a brand-new Mach 1, and before I ordered it, I was hanging out with Jack Chrisman, who invented the funny car and was the first person to put a fiberglass body on a Logie chassis. And they said, Jack, that's a funny-looking dragster you got. And the Kendall GT1 Comet became the Mach 1, and they started campaigning with Coca-Cola, the funny car class. So it was great. People now could identify with dragsters. If they had a Chevy, they liked you know, certain people. If they had a Ford, if they had Mopar. So I was at the drag strip, too. And and your knowledge of drag racing, everybody tells me, is is so extensive. And throughout the '60s and the '70s, you were at the drag strip most of the time. Yeah, I was at the I was in the heyday of drag racing when the, the the times weren't nearly what they are today, obviously. But back when it was really establishing itself in the late '60s and the early '70s, I spent a lot of time at the drag strip. You bet. What are your memories? I mean, what do you remember? What are the firsts? Because you saw yeah. a lot of firsts. I went, I went, remember hanging out at the Keith Black shop and getting to know Don Perdomo and Tom Keith Black. In, in the wow. heyday. And uh, and then uh, my friend was very good friends with Danny Angaias and Larry Reyes, who drove the Hawaiian. Uh, Jack was driving a, a Mustang. Um, Just Tyree, Big John Masmanian. I loved what I loved about the '60s and the early '70s was the nicknames the drivers had: Fast Eddie Sharpman, Dino Don Nicholson, Gas Ronda, Big John Masmanian, uh, Jungle Jim Lieberman. I mean, all these guys were characters, and it was really a good time to go to the drags. Is 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 drag racing today different? Do you still follow it? It's more corporate, you know. The characters. I mean, it's still a great sport, and you know, John Force actually bought Jack Crispin's last funny car when he was 17 years old. But today, the cars are a lot faster. They're a lot more powerful. They go straighter, but there's not much. There's not much to driving them anymore. You kind of just point them and hold on. In the old days, they were squirrely and they were they were trying to work the bugs out, and there was actually more of a race because you had seven and a half seconds of drag racing. Where today, there's sub four seconds. About three years ago, I was out at Island Dragway out here in New Jersey. And I met Dino Don. I'm sorry, Don Garlitz. Yeah. And and super nice guy. And he let me sit in the swamp rat. He had one of the swamp rats there. And I never realized it before. But when you sat in that front engine dragster, mm-hmm. your vitals were yeah. right on the rear end. That my Dragula out there is basically set up as a, like a dragster, and you sit right on top of the third member. Yeah. And and if that fails, oh boy! It happened to Jack Christman. He had he had one explode on him, and damn near killed him. And he walked with a limp afterwards, and they were picking metal out of his butt for hours. Wow! And I guess we can thank Don Garlitz for coming up with the rear engine dragster. And cost him cost him half his foot, but he came yeah. up with it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Do you still go to the drag races, Eddie? Yeah, I, I was at the Winter Nationals recently, and I, I and I'm calling you Eddie, but it's I answered to you, it. You know, it works. I noticed it that. Works. Yeah, I you noticed know, that. It, it, it's second nature uh, to me. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a good time, and I still enjoy it. Um, I actually was talking to the guy that wrote the Snake and the Mongoose movie the other day about doing a movie on Jack Crispin because I had written a script years ago called Crispin's Comet, and about the first family of drag racing because when Jack was doing the Saxon Son and the GT and the Kendall GT One Comet, his wife would push would drive the the return car, and his pit crew were his eleven year old son and a nine year old son, and they were like a family of drag racers. Where does Butch? 
go for a car today? I mean, what do you drive today as, as an everyday vehicle? And what do you do? You have a what, what do you drive for a hot rod? Well, you have to have a hot I, rod. I've got my Munster coach, my Dragular for my hot rods now, and right. they, they they basically locked me up for the next year and a half at home. Believe it or not. I, I drive a Mercedes. <laughs> well, that's all right. Hey, listen. Uh, but I got two it. Harleys. Yeah, you earned it. I got my two wheel. So there's still there's still that wild side when you want. I got my two wheel hot rods. Right. Yeah. Um. Just just crazy stuff. Um. I, I lost my train of thought. To be honest with you, my my other question I wanted to before we we get away is, you've been coming to the Wild Hot Rod Farm here in Monville for a while now. Eight years. Um. You're a member of this club. I yeah. I was a guest. Uh. They brought me in as a celebrity guest eight years ago, and I had no idea what I was getting into. I had met him at the Boston Autorama, Jeff Bornstein or Jeff Allen, whatever, and they invited me to a party, and I said, you know. Sure, sounds like fun. I had no idea whether it was going to be a couple guys with a six-pack sitting on a cooler in a garage, but I pulled up to an 18-acre farm with thousands of cars, yeah. huge banners, and uh, fell in love with the place. You, you knew this was it? Oh, yeah, I fell in love with uh. the place, and they uh, had me back and had me back, and then they presented me with an honorary jacket a few years ago, and then when I bought the cars, now I have the real, actually have two world-class hot rods, so now I'm a full-fledged member. Wow, great. Hey, listen, i got to tell you, um, on, on another note, you, knew, you you probably get this at the end of every interview, but I, I still watch the Munsters to this day. And, uh, well, you, you know what's really good about that is kids today are watching it with their parents and their grandparents, three generations of fans, and loving it. And the family values thing really, 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 you know, speaks annals for the longevity of the show. Yeah, it really is. And I hear, I hear um, behind the scenes, Fred Gwynn was a sweetheart of a guy. Al Lewis, two funny guys. Yeah. Um, always cutting up behind the scenes and uh, just, just probably real yeah, good times. Very enjoyable two years of my life. Is there some place that the uh, listeners can go to find out more about Butch Patrick? Is there a website? Where else? Munsters.com. Munsters.com. <laughs> cool beans. And what is it for Dead Man's Curve? It's Dead Man's Curve. USA.com, I believe, and um, uh, just good stuff. Butch, thanks for being part of The Car Doctor today, and uh, I'll let you get back to the party. I'm Ron Anini and The Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. the car doctor thanks again to butch patrick for doing that we uh cornered him at the car show there up at dead man's curve that wednesday before labor day weekend and uh, he took some time out of his schedule and uh, it was just fun talking to him um it was uh and that could have gone on so much longer but we tried to cut it down for the sake of radio to uh, just give you a taste of what it's like and um if we're there next year and i believe we're going to be the next year you want to come out and see us at the dead man's curve party labor day weekend and that show is um it's a small microcosm of what Butch was talking about in terms of the car culture and what it was in the 60s and the 70s. Let's get back to the lines. Let's go over and talk to Lynn, Hartford, Connecticut, some questions about her 82 BMW. Lynn, welcome to The Car Doctor. How can I help? Thanks a lot, Ron. Hi. You're welcome. Good. A question about winterization. Mm. So well, I don't drive the car for six months out of the year, right. November through April. Okay. So this, this, is, your, I, this is your hot rod. I get this. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yep, I get this. <laughs> That's my summer car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I change the oil, you know, put stabilizer in the fuel system and all that. And then every two and a half, three weeks, I'll hook up the battery, start the car up, let it run for about 15, 20 minutes, then disconnect the battery, put it back, and that's that. 
I've been doing that for years as just a process, you know, during the six months. And now I've read an article that says they don't recommend periodically starting the engine, that it'll build up condensation, and then once the system cools back down, that, that that's a bad thing, and it's actually harmful to the vehicle. Right. Just wanted to get your opinion on that. Um, who's they, just out of curiosity? Was oh, it's an art, it was a German car magazine I was reading. Right. My opinion, I think, mm-hmm. it's, I think it's okay doing it the way you're doing it, and I'll prove it to you. How many years? You've okay. been, how many years you've been doing it like this? Yeah, exactly. Right. Like I, about know, here twenty we go, years. Right here we go again. Let's overcomplicate it. Let's take something that works. You know, mm-hmm. in, in, instead of making the windows roll up by turning the handle left to right, let's make them go right to left just to confuse the heck out of everybody. Why not make it different? Right. It gives us something right. to talk about at Starbucks. Uh, you know, I see nothing wrong with what you're doing when you winterize it. Do you? Mm-hmm. Do you? You. Drive it, change the oil, and just take it for you know a quick lap around the block, and then put it away with fresh oil. And then when you bring it out in the spring, do you drain that oil? You know, run it, drain that oil, and and then start out with your season of driving oil, yeah, so to fresh. speak. Yeah, start it out fresh. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's yeah. The I've way never had it. a problem. Right. It's yeah, worked not, for years. I, that was kind of my feeling. Yeah, and, and I can tell you this. You know, this is your hot rod. You know what I drive? I drive. Mm-hmm. I drive a black two door fifty five Chevy during the summer. Uh, when I get the time to take it out and have some fun. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I can tell you about condensation and globs of water in the top of this motor that's, you know, it, it's it's just insane how much condensation builds up. But I changed the oil, and it's been that way for a couple of three years now, and I don't anticipate a problem. And, you know, it's 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 just as important or probably more important, not even so much for starting it as it is mm-hmm. to just change the engine's position, get out there and hand crank it. And just put the pistons in a different spot. Now with the hot rod, right. I'll drive the hot rod a little longer. I'm hoping to get it out this weekend if it's nice here in the Northeast tomorrow Sunday, and uh, you know take it mm-hmm. out for my last Sunday ride until my next last Sunday ride. But um, I'll drive it right up through December if it's warm enough until they put the salt down, and then I'll have right. it back out in April. So yeah. you know, but what I'll do is if I can't you know find the time to start her, I will every three weeks walk over, put a five eight socket on the front of the crank, and you know, turn the engine to a different position, and that changes tension on valve springs and rings, and that's the stuff that I worry about taking a set and etching into cylinder walls and and, and things like that. But again, either way works, and, you know, we're both doing it the right way. And, you know, overinflate the tires would be the only other comment to you, just so that the tires don't take a set, and I'm sure whatever you've been doing, again, it's been working for umpteen years. One of the things I say about reading articles, and then we'll move on, is I take a look at who wrote it. Do they have any valid you know, data to back it up? Can they prove it to me? Or is it just what so many things are that we read about today? It's hearsay that somebody overheard at the water cooler that they turned into an article to generate a paycheck over, and they don't have any valid proof to really say, yeah, this is real. So if it's working, leave it alone. Let's get over and let's go talk to Yosef, Wichita, Kansas, and uh, see what's going on here. Yosef, welcome to The Car Doctor. How can I help? Hi, Ron. Yes, How sir. are you doing Good. today? Good. doing great. What's going on? Well, I have a friend of mine who's got a 2015 Subaru STI. Right. Uh, he was wondering if it's normal for a car gauge cluster to do a needle sweep upon startup. Sure is. A- absolutely. What? And it's it's real simple. When, when you get up in the morning, Yosef, do you get up, sit on the edge of the bed, and kind of stretch and yawn? Yes. Okay, why do you do that? Just to help me wake up. Yeah, help you wake up and, you know, 
if when you stretch and yawn, you feel something in your right shoulder blade kind of pop, you go, uh oh, and and you know something's broke, right? Well, right. Cars do the same thing. It's it's sweeping the it's sweeping the gauges, looking for a bad segment in the cluster, because if it if it sees a bad segment, it will report that, or at the very least monitor it, and maybe come back and report a gauge failure or an improper gauge issue or an instrument cluster issue or a data communication problem. So they're doing that as a sweep test, just like its name implies. Are the gauges all working? Are all the segments there? Is there continuity? Will the gauges be good enough to trust the vehicle during its oper- for the vehicle to trust during its operation? It's a stretch and a yawn, just like you do when you sit at the edge of the bed. Yosef, thanks for the call, and we're glad to find out that we're down there in Wichita, Kansas way, and we're up on the airwaves. 855-560-9900. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. And run we will. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor running along this hour at 855-560-9900. That is the Car Doctor's 24-7 toll-free number, 855-560-9900. Give us a call. Leave a message if we're not on the air. We are live Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the affiliates, the network that carry the Car Doctor. We're also available on podcast, by the way, cardoctorshow.com with a bunch of links down on the left side of the page, iHeart, iTunes, all the good stuff to uh, subscribe to and take the car doctor with you. But um, you can call 855-560-9900. Leave a message. If we're not on the air fast, Harry, our executive producer, will talk to you, and I'll call you back and talk to you and get you up in queue. Quick piece of email. We're going to do this for Dennis, who sent me an email request without a phone number, so I can't uh, I can't reach out and talk to him and uh, you know get any more information than this. Ron, I just had my 72 Buick Skylark tuned up. When I first start it and put it in gear, it makes a popping noise and stalls. I restart it and let it run for a few minutes, and it'll finally go. Once it's warmed up, it runs great. What's causing the stalling problem? This is from Dennis. I'm not sure from where. Uh, no idea on an address or a phone number. Uh, Dennis, if it just happened since the tune-up, and we're going to have to make an assumption here, again, no, not a lot of information, was it plugs, points, cap, rotor, wires, which is was a typical tune-up on a 72 Buick Skylark. My first thought would be, A, base timing is set wrong, C, the mechanical timing the centrifugal advance inside the distributor is frozen and perhaps this car sat for a while and now with base timing reset they've actually got the rotor firing between two contacts so when it's cold and the fuel is real heavy and dense it takes a lot of electrical energy to overcome that and it has to struggle until it warms up when the fuel atomizes better when the engine is warm and it makes a difference and that's why that happens i would tell you to go back and look at points make sure they're gapped properly, and make sure that base timing is set properly, and then make sure the vacuum advance and the mechanical or the centrifugal advance portion of the distributor is operating as it should. Not a lot of people, well, I don't know if anybody remembers that, not a lot of people did it back in the day. They just took timing as being set. Because what I think is happening here is I think you are firing or causing the ignition to fire on the wrong side of the contact, 
in one sense, it's firing late, even though it's firing at top because the mechanical advance is altering it. And you're going to find that um, by correcting that, you're going to solve the problem. Again, go back over the work you did. If part of it was points and uh, set and timing, there you go. There's the problem. Hey, till the next time, I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor reminding you the mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. See ya.